0: We turn in God's word this morning to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. As we consider this morning the theme of Jesus Christ our King. Jesus Christ our King. There's probably no message uh, in terms of the gospels, in terms of the birth of Christ that testifies more pointedly the fact that he is the king in this section from Matthew chapter 2. Let's read God's Word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's far the reading of God's word. Let's again pray and ask for God's blessing. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you for these words that you have given us. We pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he helps us to understand them better bring them to life to us, and we pray that you will guide us, bringing these words, truth and guidance in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to look at three things regarding Christ as the king from this particular passage of Matthew chapter 2. First of all, the king's star. Secondly, the king's worship. And thirdly, the king's reign. The star, his worship, and the reign. First of all, let me just ask you a question. Just look at the text. And, and this is really the only text uh, outside of the prophecy we have about the star um, rising out of, out of Judah. Uh, no additional mention there either. So th- then, none of the other gospel writers record this particular event uh, that took place, but Matthew does. So if you look at the text, find the word star in The occurrence is where it is. And tell me, what does the text tell you about the appearance? About what the star looked like? How many adjectives are used to describe the star? And the answer is zero. God's word adds nothing but saying there was a star. There is no description, just the word star. There is no tail as big as a kite. There is no extraordinary size or brightness. You know, every year about this time, you'll you'll get an article somewhere, whether it's on the internet or in the Grand Rapids Press, where you know they'll they'll try to explain the appearance of the star by you know the merging of these two planets and that caused an extra brightness in the sky doesn't tell us that doesn't say that doesn't say that this particular star was brighter than all the other stars of the heaven doesn't say that doesn't say it was bigger than any of those stars in terms of its appearance There is nothing that should draw us to him. See, when you think about the whole of the story, what is God doing? Think of where he's born. Think of the circumstances in which he is born. Think of the occasion on which he is born. Think of to whom that was first announced. Now, are not Isaiah's words true? There was nothing about him that we should be drawn to him. The whole story of the birth of Jesus is one of great humility. There is nothing really in the story about some worldwide announcement of the coming of Christ. It's very quiet. Why then do we as human beings, why does Hallmark, sorry if you sent it out, desire to make this star so big, so bright, so huge? This is not God's way. This is not the way Christ entered into the world. It would go against exactly that which we are told in God's Word. As far as the appearance of the star, nothing extraordinary. A star. Now Maybe the Lord will give us a clear night in one of the following nights. It's supposed to be clear tonight so the temperatures can get even a little bit colder for us. Just step outside is find an ordinary star. Because that's what the text is telling us. doesn't shine brighter, isn't bigger, isn't closer. It's a star. The king's star. Second thing in regards to the king's star is the following of that star. And notice that the wise men Sometimes in our versions called magi, perhaps better astronomers or perhaps astrologers from other religions as well. They tell us in verse 2 their discovery. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These are men who make a study of the heavens. These are the men who study The movement of stars, the movement of planets. Yes, mankind already had that knowledge and information. They're not a bunch of backwards people who have no knowledge of the movement of planets and of our solar system, of the existence of stars and of their distance. They saw, however, in the stars things that, we don't see. And so they they studied them, they watched, they'd, they'd watch particular areas, just as astronomers do today. If If those who are manning the big telescopes, focused on a particular section of the heavens, have that telescope honed into there, and they watch, and they chart, and they watch, and they chart, and they watch, and they chart, and, they watch, and, they chart, and then suddenly That light was not there last night when we observed. That's light from a new star. We would say, as Christians, it's light from a star that's just getting to them in the time of creation. That's what they're doing. They discover this in their observance of the heavens there is a star it it rises it simply means to appear it doesn't mean the star rose in this regard it means it appeared these men who are the studiers of that which god has made and created see this new star I have a question for you to think about in regards to this passage Did anybody else see it? Did anybody else observe this star? Well, for one thing we would say, well, if we take the typical Christmas card depicting the star and, you know, it's it's about 10 foot tall even on the page, and it's extraordinary bright, you would think everybody in Bethlehem would have seen this thing. You'd have to be absolutely blind not to see it. Why didn't everybody from Bethlehem go then? Why is it that Herod has to have his, his men, his scholars, search the scriptures to find out? Why didn't they just poke their head out of the palace and go, well, that star's right over there. We can calculate that's about over Bethlehem is it possible that what god is telling us here is that when his son appeared there were only some who saw him for who he was he came to that which was his own but his own received him not yet to those who received him could be that god only opened the eyes of these wise men to see Rather to lead them to his son. Isn't that, my friends, really the message of the gospel? That God opens the eyes of the blind so that they can see while the rest are looking and see nothing? That we see in the babe of Bethlehem, the one who is indeed the king who has been born, while the rest of the world sees nothing, is it too hard for us to think that perhaps the only people who actually saw this king's star are the men that God desired to call from the east to bring a message. To the whole world to remember. To open their eyes. We don't know exactly how far these men followed this star. They tell us they are from the east. The, that description, depiction, could describe every anything from Persia to India to even China. Given the fact that we are told in this passage that their journey from the time of Christ's birth... To their getting to Jerusalem encompasses around two years it would probably put it past the Persia limit it probably puts it somewhere in the neighborhood of India or China that these men have journeyed in order to come they've traveled a long ways and do you know they don't see the star anymore we saw his star rise. We've come to Jerusalem. Where do we go? Why do they have to ask the question where to go if the star is still there? These men follow with a diligence. For you notice that the, star, that the passage tells us, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold... Why does it have to say, and behold? Because the star was not there for a long period of time. But now the star again makes its appearance. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, how do they respond? Great joy. Why? If they had just seen it the day before, why do they have such great joy? they've been following this area we saw it it was there where did he go what happened god again in his grace allows them to see see that's the message of this star this message of the star is a message of grace of christ's grace it's a message that the reign of christ is going to be beyond geographical borders. This is going to be something beyond Palestine. The people of Palestine, the Jewish people, are going to be blind. It's beyond a race of people. This one who is going to be king is not king of just Palestine. This king is not king of just the Jews. This king is not a king of political realms. That's why these men journey from even outside of the Roman Empire. This is the one who is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. This is the one whose kingdom is going to be vast, encompassing all that God has created, all that God has made. This king, in his grace, Opens our eyes to see the reality of who he is. Secondly, the king's worship. Notice, that's what the wise men say they have come to do. Verse 2, where we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is the purpose of their coming. It ought to be a reminder to us. If wise men know enough to come to worship the king, how much more so should we as believers understand that is our purpose? This is why we exist, that we might glorify him, that we might worship him. Life here is not about us living cozy lives. Life here is not about us making great strides and being successful. Life here is about worshiping the Lord. And if that means being successful in what we do, glory to God. But it is not primary. It is not first on the agenda. We are here first of all to worship. And notice the fulfillment of that worship. Go down with me now to verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And I want you to note three acts of worship. One, they fell down. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Three acts of worship. One, they fell down. Humility. Awe. That's worship. Worship is not about being comfy. It's not about being cozy. Worship is not about being friendly. We ought to be friendly people, but it's not about, that's not worship. Worship is is about humility. We fall down before God, before an awesome God, before a holy God, before a righteous God, before a just God. We fall down. Understanding our sinfulness. Think of what is transpiring here. These are men who have journeyed for years to come to Jesus. These are men of great knowledge. These are men of great learning. They might have even been men of great power and influence. These are men of great wealth. And what do they do when they come? Do they stand there before them and say, hey, we came a long way. Serve us. They were important people by the world's standard. Acknowledge us. They fall down. before the presence of the King. Humility and awe. Awe at God's grace. They found Him. One of the reasons that professions of faith are always done in the context of worship. We don't do those Outside, We don't do them at a campground. We don't do them during a Bible study. We don't do them during fellowship time. Professions of faith are always done in the context of worship. Why? Because of humility and awe. The awe of God's grace. You reveal to us the one who is the king. See, that's in essence what what Becky and Daniel did this morning. They came following the light that God has provided in the truth of his word. They came guided by the Holy Spirit. They came in grace that God opened their eyes. And when you, when you realize that, that you're saved by grace alone, the only thing you can do is to fall down in awe of that which God has done. In the mercy that God has provided of understanding, yes, I'm a sinner, but I am a sinner saved by grace. And if I fall because I am a sinner, then even more so, I prostrate myself in worship before the Lord because of His grace of his forgiveness, because of his pardon. See what the wise men do? They worship. The second act of worship is giving. They give their best. They give that which is expensive. Christ is going to go on to talk about that one day, you know, when they're standing by the, the temple and there's that woman putting in but her few little coins and there's probably some derision and probably some laughter and maybe there are those who go, what's that going to do? And Jesus says, the woman gave more than anybody else. Why? She gave all she had. She gave all she had. The Magi have more than a few... They gave what is expected to give the king. They gave the best they had. That, my friends, is worship. To give the best you have. This hour and 15 minutes, this hour and 20 minutes in the morning, that hour and 15, 20, 25 in the evening is to be the best that we can give to the Lord. Best. They gave him gold, frankincense, and milk. But there is a third act of worship, and that's their obeying. See, worship isn't complete when you just fall down. Where it starts, acknowledging our sinfulness, acknowledging God's grace. But that leads to giving. That leads to serving. That leads to obeying. For think of how this story would have gone if they didn't obey the Lord. Here goes the story: Herod, we've come to worship him. Fine, you'll find him in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. They journey to Bethlehem, Ephrathah. They rejoice at the star. They find the baby Jesus, the child Jesus actually at this point. They fall down, worship, they give their gifts. And then they go tell Herod, hey, you'll find the kid in Bethlehem. After having been warned in a dream they should not do so directly disobeying that which God told them to do. What would we think of these men's worship? We'd go, well, that was pretty insincere. That was pretty weak. They fell down. They gave. They didn't obey. Our worship is to be an act of falling down. It's to be an act of giving. It's also an act... Obeying. Not only for wise men, but for every believer today. So, the point of Becky and Daniel's profession of faith, the point of your profession of faith, is not only come acknowledging all that God has done, and we do that in several of the questions that are asked of them. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Do you you confess? You confess that you're a sinner saved by grace. But then there comes the, you see him as your Lord. Giving him your best. Serving him. All that is in you. Saking the world. Do you promise, question five, to live obediently? Do you promise to take your profession and put it into action? To do something with that profession? That it's not something that stays here in this building. But our profession is that which we live in obedience to that which we hear. The voice of the Lord. Not in a dream, but in the truth that Jesus Christ himself gives. Thirdly, the king's reign. He's a king. He has a star. The star points us to his grace. The wise men show us that this is the king that is to be worshipped. This is the king that is to be adored. There is also the reign of Christ. Note three things. One, that reign is divisive. Isaiah warned us of this in Isaiah chapter 53. It warned us that he was going to be rejected. He was going to be a man of sorrows. He was going to be a man acquainted with grief. Already alluded to the verse in John chapter 1, he came to his own, but his own received him not. The rest of Matthew chapter 2 certainly points out The fact that the coming of Christ as King is something that's divisive. What follows is this horrific story of Herod going back to Bethlehem not to worship, but Herod coming back with soldiers, destroying all those children two years and younger. We hear Rachel weeping again. Children. He asked the folks after that visit of Herod's soldiers so, did the coming of Christ bring about good times? No. It's very divisive. But even Jesus, Matthew is going to pick up on this, reminds us of this. Turn forward to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, go to verse 34 of Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yes, when you follow Christ as king, It leads to divisiveness. Not everybody wants to listen. There are many Herods in our world. There are the physical Herods, there are the emotional Herods, there are the spiritual Herods who don't want to listen to the voice of the king. They don't want to deal with the threat to their own lives. They would rather do it their way than to listen to the king. They have the words of the king, but they would rather follow their own emotions. They would rather follow their own feelings. They would rather follow their own gut. They would rather follow their own thinking than to listen to the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords. The reign of Christ is divisive. Think of the umpires of this world that are opposed to the reign of Christ. Think of the spiritual foolishness that is raised in opposition to Christ. To the true Christ, to the one who is truly prophet, priest, and king. To the one who is truly the word become flesh. To the one who is truly savior and king. The reign of Christ. Divisive rain. Elder Nate, when he prayed for Becky and Daniel, noted that of the fact that, that as Christians we are indeed targets. Targets of those who don't want to accept the reign of Christ. And the number one person, the number one being, I should say, is Satan himself. He hates you too right now. He hates you. He despises you. You stood and professed Christ, the exact opposite of that which he desires in this world. Your acknowledging of Jesus Christ this morning as king means you've made an enemy. Sometimes our friends are known by our enemies. But he promises, "I'm King. I never leave. I never forsake. I lead and guide with my rod and staff. I watch over. I care. I protect. You're mine. You're in my empire. You're in my kingdom. You're in my domain." blessing it is you know the one who is the king the King's reign not only is divisive it is authoritative we read in mark chapter 122 and you you could page back to Matthew chapter 7 28 and 29 he taught not as their scribes not as their Pharisees not as their teachers of the law but he taught as one who had authority there on that Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. As Christ appears before Peter, James, and John in all of his kingly glory. The words of the Father are these. This is my Son. Listen to him. The reign of Christ is not only divisive, the reign of Christ is authoritative. It is he that we need to listen to. It is his voice that we need to learn the sound of. It is his voice as the one who will shepherd his people. Psalm 23, Micah 5, our call to worship. It is he who has that shepherd's voice. It is that shepherd we need to listen to. It is that shepherd that we need to follow. And the reign of this Christ, the reign of this King, is sovereign. I close with simply reading two passages of Scripture. One is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1. book of Colossians, chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And these words from the book of Revelation, the 11th chapter. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. Oh, Kendall had it so right He shall reign forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It's truth to us this morning, the kingship of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that on a morning of two professions of faith, we could hear again, Not only their profession, but we could think about that profession of our own in light of the kingship of Jesus Christ. Lord, we leave this place of worship. We leave this place of giving in order that we might go and obey the voice of our King who told us, go to all the world with this good news of the gospel in Christ's name. God's people say, amen.